0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas, brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet.
1: Carla, welcome to WBAP.
2: Hello, how are you
1: today? Oh, I'm doing just fine. How are you?
2: I'm great. So I'm driving, so I hope my reception doesn't, you know, kind of eke out on us, but I heard you talking about radiant barriers earlier, and I am in—I'm about midway into building a new home in Grandview. Um, I have the best builder out there, so that's—that's that's a wonderful, very comforting thing. Um, and he used a, a spray foam insulation, and I just wondered what you had to say about that.
1: Did he encapsulate the whole house or just do the walls or just the attic? Where did he use it?
2: He did the exterior walls and the attic.
1: Okay. I I will tell you that is not the way I like doing spray foam insulation, And, and here's why. When you do that, you have totally sealed that house up. And by doing so, there's no air exchange with the outside air. Other than the AC system, which will have an outside vent to draw air, fresh air in, that will have an an electric flapper on it that opens and closes according to when it needs the fresh air. So if that flapper starts uh, malfunctioning, which does happen, uh, you now can get what's called sick home syndrome, where the humidity levels go too high, it starts sweating in the house, and you start growing mold and mildews and things like that. So you're going to want to watch on that very closely. Um, I recommend foam insulation on walls all the time, but I like to leave the attic with regular insulation uh, because that way the house can still breathe. And quite frankly, you can get an R38 out of regular insulation, just like you can with foam insulation. But typically in an attic, you have all the space to do it, and it's a lot less expensive than going with the foam insulation so it serves two purposes it saves money and it keeps the house breathable and and so that's the reason i like going that way would that keep me from buying a house absolutely not i would i would buy one that's fully encapsulated just the same as i would any other house i just would know i've got to keep an eye on that ac system to make sure that that flapper stays working properly so is that
2: flapper something that is I mean, I can visually
1: see it. I can, like, walk up and look at a place, and there it is. No. No. It's it, <laughs> okay. it's it's one of those things that you're going to have to keep, you know, it's recommended that you have your AC system serviced twice a year. Right. And you want to make sure when they're servicing it that they're checking, making sure that's working. If you okay. start having any issues inside the house, call the AC guy right away and have that flapper checked. And And that's really what it comes down to
2: okay so the thing to look for the the signals would be a high humidity in the house
1: yeah the humidity levels would start going up a little bit uh you'd start seeing uh almost like the house is sweating you'll, you'll okay. start seeing mold and mildew especially in corners uh, in windows and stuff like that so okay now i'm going to take okay. you one step beyond though make sure you get documentation from the builder as far as what they put in for insulation, the R value of it, the materials that was used. you want full documentation on that? I read an article two weeks ago uh, on the spray foam insulation that uh, some of the mortgage companies are starting to balk on financing houses that have spray foam insulation. Because certain types of it are, one, sealing stuff up so much, they're also sealing up the uh ceiling joint, the roof joists, and things like that, roof rafters rather, uh, and they're starting to deteriorate because of the, the moisture issues. And they can't see it to inspect it when they're doing financing, and so they're passing on those houses based okay. on inspection, you know, the fact that they can't inspect mm-hmm. that. So uh, what they're looking for in order to circumvent that would be full documentation, what type of insulation was used, Uh, the R values, who installed it, uh, all the criteria. So make sure you get all the documentation on that.
2: Okay, I sure will. Uh, That's great, great information. So one of the things I did talk to him about before he installed that spray foam was, I heard somewhere, maybe on your show, I don't know, but somebody told me that some of that spray foam was so dense and uh, and type that, you know, the breathability could become a problem with your roofing. Yes. So so him and I did discuss that, and he said that he used, I'm, I may not get the word right, maybe he said cellulose or something like that that is more breathable.
1: Well, cellulose is, is a different type of insulation. Uh, that's not a spray foam. That is okay, a breathable so that's, insulation uh, okay. that's... Uh, fiberglass and cellulose are two insulations that are typically put into a house now the only issue with a cellulose insulation as it ages it will start to decay and turn into dust
2: you usually talk in a
1: 30year type situation on that but yeah um, yeah uh, now
2: I believe, I believe I got that wrong but yeah
1: he, he probably he told you he theory. used a uh, there's closed cell and there's open cell. Foam insulation, and he's probably using an open cell.
2: That is correct. That is exactly what he said. So is that better? So do you support that uh, that decision?
1: There are some AC guys who have it in their heads that that's a breathable insulation, and it is not. It forms a skin on it that does not allow it to breathe like other insulations do. But I personally prefer the closed cell because open cell will take on moisture and hold it like a sponge and that report that I just was telling you about that's right. the f- type of insulation they're having the issue with.
2: Okay. so They I actually, they they actually prefer one.
1: closed cell.
2: Okay. So if I were to do something like install some kind, maybe just a fan just a simple little fan or something like that up in the attic to sort of keep the levels more stable do you think
1: that would be a good idea I don't think that's going to help you at all because the, the areas okay. where, where we're worried about is actually the living space itself
2: okay okay all right well I guess I have a little bit of research to do and a little bit to keep my eye on
1: well Carla enjoy your new home and uh, you know like I said don't lose a whole lot of sleep over it just make sure you get all the documentation yes
2: I will do that All right, well, I certainly appreciate the information.
1: This email came in just two hours ago, and it kind of, it's one of those that really caught my attention because, you know, other states do things different. And it says, hello, I'm trying to find out if Texas has a contractor or homeowner's recovery fund for homeowners that have been burned by shady contractors. Any info would be appreciated. Eric. Well, Texas is a little different than, a, and than most states. We don't have contractor licensing. And so it truly is a buyer beware state where you want to check out contractors before you hire them. Uh, and since there is no contractor licensing, there's no contractor registration either. Uh, so the state really has no idea... How many contractors there are? Who's doing what? Uh, no formal board for filing complaints. None of that kind of stuff. Now, if somebody does something illegal, hey, yeah, you can file on on that. But I'm just talking about in general. There's no no reports that are put together with all these different contractors. So, as far as I know, there are no recovery fund or or homeowners things like that that are available. We've got to do our homework before hiring the contractor to check out if they're going to burn us or not. And you know Some of the things that you, you need to verify. Uh, one, you can check the complaints with the BBB. Now, get, I, a lot of people don't realize this, but the BBB is an, uh, an entity of its own. It is not government-related. They basically charge contractors to be members, and so contractors, or I should say anybody, who doesn't pay to be part of the BBB doesn't really get the same treatment. I'm not saying they get bad treatment. I'm just saying it's not quite the same. But check with the BBB, see if there's unanswered complaints, because hey, anybody can answer a complaint, and that's really all it takes to keep in good standing. Second thing, make sure they have general liability insurance. If they don't have general liability insurance, they're not a real contractor. Don't be hiring them. Uh, it's plain and simple. See if they have an office. Anybody can throw magnetic signs on their truck and say they're a contractor. You know, once a, a business is actually paying for office space, whether they own it or rent it, and they have their insurance and they have all the, you know, the different things, real employees, not just all subcontractors. Now you become a business. Uh, so you can also check with some of their suppliers, you know, if they're paying their bills on time, things like that to to verify that, hey, this is legitimate business and should be here to take care of any issues that I have. Jim, welcome to
3: WBAP. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Wonderful. Yeah, I just, uh, I had a, I've been basically selling and promoting open cell foam for about 20 years uh-huh uh, in the dallas fort worth area specifically uh even before we were doing foam encapsulations and um to be honest i had one of my builders call me and just state that he was apparently listening to the show and said that you were saying possibly some there's some negatives doing full foam encapsulations with open cell foam in the roof deck Yes, sir, and I've been saying it for years. Okay, and um, real quick, I guess, uh, pardon my ignorance, but what was your what was your uh, problem with that?
1: Truthfully, the, the issue I, ha- I have multiple issues with it. One, we're in- when we encapsulate the entire home, uh, we're totally dependent on the AC system working. We've got to have that fresh air vent coming in, and there's been too many times where the the electronic flapper fails and we start getting sick home syndrome out of it because it's not getting the proper air circulation in the home. And the foam insulation, I I recommend it in the walls all the time, but I recommend in the attic to stick with a breathable insulation so you can avoid that type of problem because whether you use foam or you use fiberglass or cellulose or Milo insulation, any of the other products that are breathable, R-39 is R-39. You're not making it any more energy efficient uh, unless you're putting thicker insulation, and in. all of them can be thicker in the attic. So I love spray foam in the walls. I just want breathable in the attic.
3: Okay. I Like I said, again, I, I mean, we did some of the first foam encapsulations back in about 2005, 2006. Yep. And since then, uh, what, 15 years has gone by, I have yet to hear one... Negative about a bad air situation in an attic or a home in the Dallas Fort Worth area, especially. Well, but
1: but you mentioned it just a minute ago. This is the first time you've listened to my show because I get calls on it on a regular basis, because the yeah. only thing I deal with is after other contractors have screwed it up,
3: okay, and I'm not no, saying
1: you've screwed it up, but right, I deal right. I deal with the problems that happen to places. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later from different building products. And, yes. it, and this has been an ongoing problem. To the point, I just read a study last or two weeks ago that I mentioned uh, a, a few minutes ago that uh, some of the mortgage companies are now starting to balk at spray foam insulated homes because it's encapsulating some of the roof rafters. They get leaks and it's rotting out the roof rafters. And when they're having home inspectors out there, they can't see it. But the water's not coming through, so it's not showing up. And the mortgage companies are ending up with these homes that have major structural issues to them. So there are some issues that are they're coming up with it. And so some of the mortgage companies, the reason they're starting to reject some of these homes is... Uh they need proper documentation as far as what foam was used, what the R-value was, what the materials were, uh, who did it, because it's an unregulated industry. And they're starting to have issues where people are using materials that aren't approved for what they're doing with them. They just say spray foam is spray foam. And you and I both know that's not the case. There's a lot of different materials that can be used.
3: Okay. I Like I said, I just kind of calling off of one of my builders and oh, yeah, sure. i heard of an issue. Yep, uh, It seems like as long as you're using 96% of the units, which are obviously fairly new, uh, just a few years old, but they're introducing fresh air from the outside, from usually a back porch, um, and they're, you know, so you got fresh air introduced in the house. They're doing dehumidification. Uh, open cell foam, to me, has always been far better in a roof deck than closed cell foam, and I'd heard that you'd mentioned that closed-cell foam... I prefer the closed-cell. And why would that be? Because the open-cell takes
1: on moisture that the closed-cell won't take on.
3: But the closed-cell foam would actually lock in water between the roof deck and the closed-cell foam because it's a closed-cell... Right, the but the,
1: what the open-cell does, so it's, it takes on that moisture like a sponge and holds it against all the wood on a long-term basis. Neither one of them, in my opinion, is great in the attic, uh, you know, for when you have a choice to use something else. But uh, that's just the... There's plus and minuses in in both of them. And, Jim, I probably should clarify one quick note for you. I own a spray foam rig, and I also own an air conditioning company. Uh, Two separate entities. But, yeah, so I am up to to snuff on these different uh products and and how to use them
3: well yeah well that definitely is not my issue i, I just sure. because there's been thousands of homes in dallas Fort Worth, you know encapsulated uh, a lot of which are high-end well usually ultra high custom homes and there's some mid mid-range you know track builders that are using foam encapsulations that i just would have thought that if it was an issue my goodness iec or or nm would have jumped on board and said hey guys we got to take a closer look at foam unless i have not heard of a issue it seems like i'm hearing more positive news than i am negative news um and i mean i'm just coming from i'm in you know hundreds of homes practically a year and have been promoting this and i sure don't want to be promoting sure way to inflate a home i mean i'm kind of actually more concerned for customers if this is an issue i don't understand why more people Haven't noted a problem or or why Texas A and M hasn't said no. You cannot foam encapsulate. I'm floored that you are uh, portraying negative uh, connotations to spray foam when I've 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 been well. I
1: I I will tell you, I just did a project uh, with spray foam up in uh, College Station, and they were extremely critical on which material had to be used, simply because they are getting issues with some of the materials uh, not performing the way they're supposed to. And so yeah it, it it is starting to hit. I mean, understand you you know you you hit the nail on the head when you started it that you've been doing this for 20 years and that's about how long the spray foam's been being used for these things. And it is it is the like I said at the beginning, 10, 20, 30-year-old products that I have to deal with in the aftermarket where I my realm is and it is starting to hit the realm. It's it's something that's going to become more and more of a problem uh, as time's going on. And I hate to do this to you, but I have hit, I've actually gone way past my break time. I'm going to take a quick break. Jim, if you want to talk some more, i I would put you on hold and be more than happy to talk with you some more about it here. But I do got to take a quick break. Uh, Jim and Granberry, we were just uh, talking about some uh, foam encapsulation. Jim, are you still there?
3: Uh, yeah, that's great. I really appreciate the... Uh... Okay, appreciate you holding on.
1: You bet. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I've, I've only got about a minute left before we got to do news, traffic, and weather, but uh, go ahead.
3: Yeah, well, I guess the question I had then is, if I am out there promoting spray foam, uh, my question becomes, is there a encapsulation system with the right proper mechanicals? Is there a proper foam on the market that I can promote?
1: Again, I don't have issues with the foam itself. I, what I have more issues with is to, the total encapsulation because I recommend foam for walls and stuff all the time. Uh, I just don't like a total encapsulation because R38 is R38 regardless of what material you're using. The fiberglass, the cellulose, the Milo insulations, those are all breathable materials where you're not becoming totally dependent on that AC system uh fresh air ventilation system working properly hundred percent of the time so it, it it's uh it's really not the material that's as big an issue as it is I think we get into the process where we got a good thing too much of a good thing is not necessarily a better thing uh, if that makes sense to you and that that's that's where my point of view comes from on it
3: all Well, I just uh, I'm I, I'm going to have to say I'm going to keep pushing foam. Uh, it's oh, yeah. been working well for years. <laughs> like I said,
1: I'm I'm not I'm not at all advocating to do away with foam. I just yeah. curb it back a little bit. In in some of the uh, stuff that they hype it about is is where I'm coming from.
0: Just a reminder: it's a huge
1: help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. All right, so David in Garland says, I have a 55-year-old home, some cracks above a few doors, and I have two doors on the inside of the home that stick during different seasons. I also have two cracks in the mortar that start at the bottom corner of the window and stair-step down about eight brick and out about ten bricks. I hear you talk about soaker hoses around slab foundations, but... Do you put them around pier and beam foundations? The only slab I have is the garage section of the home and the two sides are covered by cement with the driveway and deck around the pool. The ground under the house is lower than the ground around the outside of the house. I have always been afraid of putting in a soaker hose because water will end up under the house. Am I wrong in my thinking, or should a soaker hose be put in around my pyramid beam? Thank you for your answering, and I love your show. Well, David, you actually can use soaker hoses around a pyramid beam house. The thing you want to watch is, especially since your ground under the house is lower than the ground around it, don't overwater. Keep in mind, you're putting that soaker hose 12 to 18 inches away from the foundation. Uh, and the, the whole purpose is to give it enough moisture that it soaks deep down into the soils. Uh, you're not trying to saturate anything. You're just trying to get it moist. And so if you're giving it so much that the water starts ponding or or running off, you got to turn it down some, uh, and that'll take care of your problem. So uh, absolutely, you can put it around your house. Now, where you have the driveways and the pool decks and patios and all that stuff, just go around those just like they are part of the home's foundation. And that'll maintain that that concrete from moving as well. Because what causes foundation movement? When the soils dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they'll expand. But not quite as much as they were the time before. <clears throat> and over a period of years, that's where we get foundation settlement. And so by keeping the soils moist, you'll keep everything expanded. Through... Uh, capillary action of the moisture migrating to the middle of the house, it will stabilize the middle of that pier and beam house as well uh, without getting standing water in there. Because, again, all you're wanting to do is give it enough moisture that it gets the soil moist, not saturated. So, yeah, definitely take a look at doing that and uh, it'll, it'll help you tremendously. Let's head to uh, Richardson and Wayne. How can I help you? Yes, sir. Thank you. Um,
4: My uh, house is built in 78 slab. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And we've got cast iron plumbing below and PVC above. And several of the houses in the neighborhood have had to replace the uh, cast iron below with PVC and all that. Right. I'm wondering, should I do it? Uh, it's not leaking now. Should I do it uh, in a preemptive manner, or wait till it starts leaking? Or what's your uh, what's your uh,
1: Have you had a uh, static test done to know it's not leaking? I have. Okay. Um,
4: Actually, I had a plumber out for a uh, uh, this is four, five, six years ago. Had a plumber out. He advertises a lot, Mm -hmm. and they said, "Oh, you need to you got a leak." Uh, you need to replace it. Uh, the back bathroom would be twenty-two thousand dollars.
1: Holy cow!
4: Yeah, I know. And uh, then I had a friend that's an engineer. He gave me a guy. I said, "Let's do a static test." Static test was negative. Everything okay. was fine. But I'm wondering. You know, I've had two or three houses in the neighborhood. Sure. Have replaced, replaced it. Is is it beneficial to do it preemptively? or wait till there's a leak, or what would you suggest?
1: Well, you know, I own a plumbing company, and I do a lot of these cast iron replacements because it goes hand-in-hand hand with foundation problems. And if you don't have a leak, there's absolutely no reason to replace it yet. So if if I was in your shoes, i just watch my house. If I start seeing an area start moving differently than the rest of the house, I would check it right away, if, it, if it's uh, because the pipes are leaking, then it's time to make the call and go ahead and replace it. But there's no reason to spend the money in, until you have to.
4: Okay. All right. I
1: appreciate it. Unless you, you want to, Wayne, and then I'm more than happy to come out and do it for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. You Thank take you. care. Enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. Let's see. We're going to head to Montgomery. And Joe, how can I help you today? <laughs> Hey, Jim. Um, we're doing a uh,
5: second phase of a barn dominium build-out. So I'm, <clears throat> I'm just through drywall, and we're going to be going to texture here soon. So I'm starting to think about my finishes. And the flooring, we're kind of at the top of the list right now, is the luxury vinyl uh-huh. plank flooring. Question for you is, would I hold my base molding up? that that flooring could go underneath the base molding or prefer to go with the quarter round or is that just a preference thing
1: just a preference thing uh and typically i would if if you're not going to go with a quarter round i would leave the base molding off until after the floor is installed oh makes it tough to paint though right Well, you can paint it before you put it on. Then all you gotta do is a little touch up. But uh, (laughs) the issue that you run into is, uh, you know, if you if you put the floor down first, I mean, if you put the uh, molding on first, you're typically gonna be just butting the floors up to it uh, instead of getting it Uh, hidden underneath. underneath. Yeah.
5: Do I need to leave a gap there for the in the vein of the old floating floor business?
1: Well, uh, the the floating you go right up to the wall. You do You're using a luxury vinyl; that's gluing down, correct? Or you're no, using I think the floating it just one? It lays on top. Okay, if yeah, it's going to lay on one. top, it's going to have instructions on it uh, as far as how much gap to leave. I think most of the the vinyl ones have a quarter inch gap all the way around. Okay. Now some Which of them go be... as much as a half inch, but uh, on the vinyl, it's usually a quarter, I believe.
5: Okay. And then uh, and then door jams, I would leave those up, right, enough to get the flooring underneath it. So I Correct. wouldn't have to yeah. make it
1: nice and so. Or you can set them and, and just cut them off to the to height you need after the fact. I mean, they make saws that make it very easy to cut those bases off the doors now.
5: Yeah. You got any thoughts on that vinyl luxury
1: plank? or? Love it. Is it preference? Oh, no, it. Uh, it, it goes by preference, I mean, you know, what you want, but they look really good. They're extremely durable. And if you're in an area where you're going to have, uh, you know, water getting on the floors, you're going to have pets running around, things like that. They hold up really well. Outstanding. All right, Jim, thanks for the thought, mate. You bet. Take care. Mike and Willis, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad.
6: Not too bad. We built a camp that uh, was like 30 by 50 or 30 by 60 or 70, 30 foot wide. And we're looking to uh, add on to that house Okay. to a second story. And, and I was trying to figure out what's the free span because we want to make a, the bottom section a, a big room. And then the top section was a couple uh, bedrooms and a couple bathrooms and with a deck. We're on 100 acres, and we're trying to look over the, the property from sure. this area.
1: Well, as far as how far size. you can free span, that's only uh, limited to whatever floor uh, choice you use. Uh, in other words, if you're using a 2x10, a you're obviously not going to span as far as if you're using a 2x12. Uh, then you get into using... Um, oh. You can use steel floor joists you can use uh ones that are made of web uh there, there there's all kinds of different options but uh, easily you can do 20 twenty four feet uh but you can you can go a lot further than that based on what the engineers just, can design you, for you
6: but the 20 twenty five is kind of the basics but when you get out to 30 it's have you gotta do some changes,
1: you're getting into I guess. engineering now yeah
6: yeah. Yeah. Now, um having the, the bathrooms and stuff upstairs, um is there a, a length to where you hit the septic tanks and stuff? Well, actually it's a uh aerobic system.
1: No, as, as long as you got a uh, slope to get it to where you need it, um there's no because there's no distance it's probably- that you have to worry about. The thing you have to worry about when you're uh, with your lines, is just uh, th- the depth. You know, your tank may have to be deeper out in the yard in order to get the slope all the way out there.
6: Yeah, it'll probably be well from the second story down to where the tank is at. It's probably close to a hundred feet, maybe. Well, that's that. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's the ground depth under the ground that you got to worry about, though, yeah. not, not, yeah, not the height so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll I know i like got to take a break, but real quick, I okay. was just going to tell you. A uh, 2x12 will typically span 20 foot 7 inches uh, if it's 12 inches on center. Uh, if you go to 16 inch on center, it's 17 foot 10. So that kind of just gives you a, a basic. Beyond that, then you're getting into the custom stuff. I'm going to put you on hold for just a second so if you got more questions because I do have to take this break. All right, we were talking with uh, Mike and Willis. And, Mike, are you there still?
6: Yeah, I'm still here.
1: <laughs> All righty.
6: Yeah. Well, I had some other questions. You know, okay, if I design something where I bring that 30-foot wall into a closet or something to, to, to make it to a 20-foot span, um, how far the length of it, how far can I go out? Um, you got 30 foot wide by 30 or 40 foot long, or do I have to, is there a limit there?
1: No, there would be no limit in in the other direction.
6: Okay. Is there any types of, um, spans where, you know, you said it had 12 inch centers on a 12 by 12 for a 20 foot span?
1: Yeah. Two by 12, uh, 12 inch on center would get you 20 foot, seven inches. Yeah. So
6: any trick designed to bring that 20-foot wall in where you have maybe an archway, a couple, two, or three archways or something to, to bring that wall in, you know, to bring the 10-foot wall from, in from the 30-foot... Well, right.
1: yeah, I, I see what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, at that point, it's no longer a 30-foot span. It's now, if you make that a support wall whether it's an arched wall or anything else uh that's your distance because you can actually have a uh joint in the wood there even on top of that wall so okay. yeah so you can easily go well beyond doing it that way
6: okay Okay, I just want, if I go to a designer and act like I know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, typically, and like I said, it's no big deal getting the, the ceiling joist uh, made and, and manufactured and stuff. So you just tell them, this is the size room I want, and they'll be able to put together the design for you.
6: Oh, okay. Yeah, now I think about it, we built a house, too. We, we had the design, uh and we had a long span that the guy had to get some trick beams went yeah. there.
1: Yeah, they they don't they're yeah, quite frankly the cost of uh wood, they're no more expensive now than than uh than the 2x12 a lot of times because you know a lot of them they'll go with like a uh uh chipboard with uh yeah. top and bottoms on them and stuff. Uh you can even get them with a a metal web in there and those things will span out way out.
6: No, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's what I'll do then. And your height um, for your two-story, how you know to keep it about a nine to ten foot ceiling on the on the bottom portion.
1: Uh huh.
6: How how high would that pitch of that roof have to be?
1: Well, I mean, if you're out in the country doing it uh, and you don't have deed restrictions, uh, you can do what you want in that situation. Uh, usually, it, it's in neighborhoods where you run into deed restrictions that could give you trouble. But uh, personally, I love a 9 or 10-foot ceiling. 8 is, is okay for bedrooms and stuff like that. But when you get into living rooms and and other nicer family rooms and stuff, that 9, 10-foot ceiling is, is really nice. Um, I really wouldn't go beyond that. Because then you're getting into air conditioning a lot more square footage that really isn't doing you any good.
6: Yeah. Well, the one side of the house that we we put in a vaulted ceiling on one side, and the other side as the bedrooms are lower. And the addition we want at least up around nine to ten feet. Yeah. Uh, for the addition, and then the stairwells and stuff. So okay. Yeah. Yep.
1: righty. Mike. Well, good luck for with help. that. Alan in Richmond, how can I help you? Hey Jim, I
0: got a light fixture in my kitchen that's not working now. Uh, it's on a uh, double switch, I guess you could call it. The the left side uh, still works for the other lights in the kitchen, and there's one single light that hangs down from the ceiling in the kitchen over the table. Okay, uh, just stopped working. Um, so, what's the best way to track down uh, if it's or what uh, what the problem might be?
1: Okay, so you got multiple lights on the same circuit. Some are working, some aren't. Yes. My guess is it's going to be in the box where the light fixture that's not working is hooked up. Now, what what kind of light fixtures are are in there? It, is it?
5: It's one
0: of those cheap builder grade, uh, hang down from the ceiling over the dining room table lights.
1: Okay, and what kind of bulbs does it have in it?
0: Uh, it takes any sort of bulb, just normal, um, whatever okay. the normal size bulb is. Yeah.
1: Okay. The, my guess is that there is a loose connection in that box. Okay. That's, that's causing this problem. So, the first thing I would probably do is, you know, lower the fixture, and use a power tester to test and see if we're getting power to, uh, the circuit the way we should. And if we are, then it indicates that the light fixture itself is shot.
0: Okay, should should I test where the bulb goes in first, and then work my way up?
1: Yeah, you can. Okay, you can. Uh, That you know that tells you, uh, you know the. But if if you're getting power to where the bulb goes, then there's no reason to check the wires up in the box. Uh, right. Okay. Because uh, then it's a different issue. If if it gets beyond that, give Right Touch Electrical a call. Okay. And you can reach them at two eight one four zero seven six one nine nine. Okay. Because normally, right. well. is, is this a three way switch by chance? You know, where you got two switches to turn that circuit on? No,
0: it's just one.
1: Okay. Because uh, I was going to say that because that would create a whole new can of worms if if it did. So yeah, you I,
0: should. It's got one. I was going to say it's got one switch that operates just that light only. The other switch um, operates like I think it's five uh, canned lights in the rest of the kitchen.
1: Okay, so they're on the same circuit, but two different switches for two sets of lights. Yes, that opens up yeah. a, another thing then, because if oh. that's the case. It actually could be just that the switch has gone bad.
0: Okay, so I can use the same kind of uh, voltage meter to test yep. that as well?
1: Yeah, che- check and make sure you got power starting at the switch and work your way out from there. Because if you don't okay. have power coming to the switch, obviously that's that changes it. Because uh, the, there's probably, you know, since they're on the same circuit, there's probably power that goes through the first one, uh, you know, the one that has multiple lights on it, through yep. that switch over to the switch that may be giving you a problem. Uh, So if you got power there, you don't have to check the first switch. If you don't have power there, back up to the other switch and check make sure that all the power and everything is hooked up right on those wires coming across.
0: Okay. I'll give that a shot. I appreciate your help.
1: I mentioned electrical can do funny things. My parents had bought a new house back when I was, oh, I guess I was uh, just finished high school they wanted to put in a ceiling fan in one of the places well I just threw the breaker to the house went up on the ladder to check it out I didn't bother to check make sure everything is off you throw the main breaker you think everything's off I get up on the ladder and it, the power zaps me this was a brand new house had gone through inspections and everything it was back feeding the power through the neutral through the ground and uh, it, it ended up that the breaker panel itself wasn't hooked up right and had to be worked on in order to clear up that problem. So if you're going to mess with electrical, always make sure, one, that the power is off before you start grabbing stuff. Two, just because it was inspected and, and uh, passed inspections and and uh, done by a licensed electrician everything, doesn't necessarily mean everything is always done 100% right either. And let's head to the woodlands, Steve, you doing all right today? Yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. You bet.
7: Hey, we talked to you, I don't know, seven years ago. We have hardy plank on our house and our garage. And we have little varmints that like to scurry along the wood fence. And the, the little guys like to tease on the edge of the hardy plank. Okay. So we... You know, I've had some BB gun practice, but... <laughs> I can tell but, you've uh, listened to the show. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the question is, uh, I've had uh, one fellow say, well, it's cement, so we could try to put some cement and form it and make it back into a square edge. Uh, I had another guy say, well, you could get some flashing like used on uh, roofing, you know, for, for edges on the uh, sure. sills and things." I so wondered
1: if uh what's actually anything... been what what boards have been not on is it the siding part or trim or what it's trim on the
7: uh on the corners okay. where the fencing you know the fencing is like six feet high yep it comes up comes up uh the fencing is you know all cedar and uh, peekaboo yeah uh slats and all and so uh there's all these gnaw all these teeth marks, and it's yep. only about eight inches up, and the little buggers hang down and <laughs> go for those edges, I guess, to uh, clean their teeth off.
1: Yeah. Well, believe it or not, James Hardy actually makes a repair kit for Hardy siding, uh, where you, you can have a the, a little bit of material that you can mix up to plug, like, uh, holes if somebody hit the wall with a golf ball or or something like that, and that could actually be used to do that edge as well.
7: So they would uh, be able to tell me, uh, do I need to like cut it out and make it No, you
1: you literally would just form it up and and put the uh, material on it to fix it. Is this like fixing drywall where I paste it up? Pretty much. Yeah, well, it'll be a little different than that. What I would probably do is take two boards, Mix the stuff up and put it into place and then use the two boards to press it and hold it into place because make that a would form Yeah, make a form that way. And that would give it the wood texture as well, if that's what you have is the wood texture. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. And so that that would blend it in. Well,
7: uh thank you. Uh seven I think seven years ago there wasn't <laughs> you didn't suggest that, so I'm glad I called back. Yep. Thank you, sir. You bet. Steve, you take care. You too. Bye. You've just heard the best calls and
0: questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.